Hello, hello, listeners. Thank you once again for joining us. We're going to talk about um, a few things tonight. Carmelo Anthony joining the Rockets. Charles McClellan becoming commissioner of the SWAC. Both those two things have long been known about. They finally became official today. Uh, Ed Oliver and some comments he made to Sam Kahn about UVA slash LSU. So let's get right into another KG Fifthwood Wildcat and Doc podcast. Who wants to go first, fellas? Well, the topic of the day is on Doc. This is about the HBCU. We're about to lose a friend on a daily basis. Yes. Had to do a little switcheroo, as they say, as I was going to do a topic today on Ivy League statement from the Princeton coach who made some comments in regards to maybe a MEAC swack versus uh, a Ivy League champion for a bowl game. Well, I put that on the shelf, and we'll pull it back out when necessary. But the big news of the day is the announcement that Dr. Charles McCullough was named the new SWAC commissioner. So I've decided to do a monologue on uh, Dr. Charles McCullen and give people some background, and I'm calling this Homegrown Talent. Dr. Charles McCullen, the reason why I say Homegrown Talent, was officially announced today as the sixth SWAC commissioner in the league history. The conference began in 1920, and since then has never had an individual uh, since they started naming actual commissioners on a full-time basis that actually was coming from a member institution. And why I say coming from a member institution, he is actually a 1993 graduate of Prairie View a University with an undergraduate degree, a bachelor's degree in accounting. And later in 1997, he received an MBA as he started his uh, academic career, ultimately finishing while he transitioned from becoming being the athletic director at Prairie m to ultimately the VP of Intercollegiate Athletics at Texas Southern University. During that time, not only did he have a great deal of success at Texas Southern University as well as Prairie View, and I'll give a little more details on that, he ultimately completed his doctorate degree in higher education administration uh, from Texas A&M University in 2011. The reason we talk about him being a homegrown talent is not just him, it's everything about him and his family, as his parents, graduates of SWAT memory institutions, Alcorn State University. His sister went to Southern University. His two sons now are enrolled at Texas Southern University. His wife, Ashley McCullen, is a graduate of Grandma State University, and now he's also uh, the father of a daughter that was a recent addition to the family. Many of the members of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity are excited about this announcement, along with a host of other individuals but I would be missed if I didn't talk about the cultural relevance of not only being a graduate of Prairie a University, uh, member, SWAC member institution. That is actually the only SWAC member institution that was part of the original five institutions that created the conference back in 1920. As being a graduate of that, Institution Prairie A&M University, he actually has memberships in the National Alumni Association of not just Prairie View A&M University, but Texas Southern University. Uh, he's a member of National Association of Black Accountants. Why does this become important? Again, what is the thought of home ground talent? And what does it mean for the SWAT? The SWAC was going through turbulent times with uh, the dismissal of the previous Commissioner Dora Sharp as people who were concerned about the direction of the SWAC. Even the NCA 
questioned the SWAC president. And so now you have an individual that has been a past president of the Houston Touchdown Club uh, and served on his board of directors. One of the first African Americans to serve on that board of directors. My understanding, the first African American to serve as uh, president. He was ultimately one of the key calls uh, that has Texas Southern involved with Houston Final Four organization that was just recently awarded the men's Final Four in Houston. I believe it's in 2023, if I'm not mistaken. There. Correct. But what does it mean to have a leader? I believe a transformational leader that has the ability to push the Southwestern Athletic Conference forward, particularly somebody that has homegrown talent that not only understands athletics, obviously, from the roles that he's held as a former member of the NCAA Leadership Management Council, which is one of the highest-ranking councils in the NCAA. To give you an example of what it means to have the transformational leadership perspective, the leadership slash management council is responsible for establishing direct general policies, the strategic plan for the NCA, and advises the board of directors on administrative bylaws and regulations. So he has the ability to bring that to the SWAC and move the SWAC forward. Uh, as some people literally were questioning, uh, was the SWAC still viable? And I'm sure some people still even with this announcement, as much as respect they have for Charles, um, or questioning, can the SWAC move forward? You're talking about homegrown talent from Mississippi. He's actually a native Jackson. You're talking about an individual that has climbed all the way up the ladder from Jackson, Mississippi, where African-Americans have not always found grounds for success. He is one of those individuals that's been a shiny beacon for not only the SWAC, but the state of Mississippi and certainly the city of Jackson. It continues to push, push forward and look in the capacity of what does it take to move the conference forward. My understanding with getting some background information that part of his presentation to the SWAC president and chancellors was about strategy, small ideas of how to financially make the SWAC stronger. And obviously it resonated with the president uh, and specifically the chief executive officer of the conference, uh, Dr. Eugenie, uh, that talked about what the SWAC conference was looking for. We've had interviews on uh, my show, Dr. Bill's Inside HBC Sports Lab, President Lane of Texas Southern University, President of Jackson State University as well, that talked about the need of financial stability, uh, the, the need to provide strategic planning, and that's exactly what this conference is looking for. He's responsible for creating initiatives and strategies designed to achieve the mission and vision of the conference which is to support athletes, and in this case, many of these athletes happen to be African-American that come from socioeconomic backgrounds, like many uh, of other conferences, but specifically for the SWAC, because it's been a part of the mission of each of the institutions to not only provide the individuals with the athletic opportunity, but also obviously the ability to earn academic degrees in completion. So I think it's a monumental opportunity. I think many people are happy, and I would be remiss in celebrating Dr. Charles McCullough without giving credit to Edgar Gant, who was the interim commissioner since December 31st, 2017, that held everything together until uh, Charles was announced officially today. So again, I say this is an opportunity to showcase homegrown talent, and I believe we have a transformational leader, and I say we because, as many people know by now, 
I'm a proud graduate of Prairie View A&M University as an undergraduate student and at Texas Southern University as a graduate student. And so this really resonated with me. I've had the privilege to see this go uh, through the background of working with Charles uh, and so wanted to share uh, why I think this is important for the SWAC and it's just not the announcement of another commissioner, but it's an announcement that we see that will certainly make sure that SWAC celebrates 100 years in 2020, just less than two years away from now, as again, they have announced a sixth SWAC commissioner, and that is Dr. Charles McCullen. And so with that, I'll close and would like to add that we are scheduled to have an in-depth interview with Charles tomorrow on Dr. Bill's Inside HBC Sports Lab. The show runs from 545 to 715. And that is KKBQ 92.9 FM HD2. Uh, you can watch it at www.caseways-tv.com as a streaming link. We also Facebook Live at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill as well as at Inside the HBC Sports Lab. And that's Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab, I should add. But look forward to that interview and look forward to working with Dr. Charles McCullen to continue to push the Western Athletic Conference forward. 100 years and running. Homegrown talent. Appreciate it, Doc. And oh, yeah, we're not... We're not done talking about this this monumental news because I want to get your thoughts on a, on a couple more things. And I assume, knowing you, the person you are, that you're going to ask this question during your show on Tuesday. But I want to read a quote from Charles Dr. McClellan in the SWAC uh, press release announcing the big news. Quote from Dr. McClellan, as a young person growing up in the Southwestern Athletic Conference, it's a good feeling to be named commissioner. To have an opportunity to lead this conference in this era is overwhelming. I've been at TSU for 10 years and met a lot of friends. TSU is like family. I'm sad to close that chapter, but I'm excited to open a new one, end quote. Now, you touched on the connection you have with, with Dr. McClellan. Personally, myself and Wildcat have known Dr. McClellan for years years going back to his time at PV. We were covering PV and all the things and his interaction with Ralph Cooper at KCOA. So we've known Charles for a lot of years as well. And it's a a great hire. And I remember joking with Charles, oh, when did it do a shop? When was he, well, what do you want to call it? Step down, removed from uh, the SWAC office? Yes, it was officially December 31st, when Eric Gant uh, took on the interim role. So maybe early this year, maybe in January of 2018, I ran into Charles at at HPE, and I just said to him, I was dead serious when I said it to him, and I said to him, so you're going to apply for the job as SWAC commissioner? Am I, well, no, actually, I think I may have said to him, hello, Mr. Commissioner, when I shook his hand. <laughs> and he was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Don't not get carried away. And I said, man, you, this this job has you all over it. So, you know, I was dead serious. So it was great to see him in this new position. But a couple of questions for you, Doc. Yes. Do you believe, think, believe, know, your gut believes that the SWAC will move to Houston now that Charles is the commissioner? My gut is uh, that... Uh there's a serious chance that the office will move uh, to Houston, not only because um, that that just seems like the right thing to do, but because of who Charles is and the people that he knows and how respected he is. As I talked about him being on the team, uh, the Houston Final Four organizing committee, as they brought it, he was one of the key individuals that actually flew up to 
uh, Boston mm-hmm. with the mayor and other key individuals from the Houston Sports, Houston Harris County Sports Authority, I should say. And I think that they will make sure that they will provide a deal that the SWAC president and chancellor's council uh, would not refuse. So not just the fact that he wants it there, the president and the chancellors will ultimately make the decision, but because I think the respect that people have in Charles, particularly here in Houston, uh, that when a RQ goes out, I believe Birmingham will be a city that bids on it, as they should be uh, among Houston and probably a couple of others. I think Houston is going to be uh, a city that uh, puts out a bid that becomes obvious to the SWAC counselors uh, that, that they would want to move the conference to Houston. And I think it is really good timing. As I stated earlier, you're really getting to the centennial historic year of the SWAC in 2020. Uh, and Houston is actually the city, as I gave a hint to, with the five member institutions. Some records say six, but as a historian, there were actually five schools that started it, and then a sixth school came in the next year, 1921. The meetings were actually held in Houston. And so the home or the founding city, if you would have it, for the Southwestern Athletic Conference is actually Houston. So I think in a lot of ways it makes sense for it to come back to Houston at this time. And more importantly is uh, the SWAC needs a city uh, that is a leading city uh, that provides a lot of top organization that would have good reason to want to connect themselves uh, with a conference, uh, in this case, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. So, yes, ultimately, I believe in my gut uh, that sometime next year that the SWAC will find its home back in Houston. And I, I hope that happens. You know, it has been discussed for a few years about coming to Houston. And as a Cougar alum, years ago, probably within within the last 10 years, I remember times where I was hoping U of H would hire Charles as AD because because of his qualifications, of his his ability to turn around programs, his ability to uh, raise money, his business connections, his knowledge, his insight. Everything you mentioned in your report, I think he would have done a great job at U of H. But now he's in charge of the SWAC. I think he did a great job in the SWAC. So it was a great, it's a great day for the SWAC. Uh, wish him well. Want to shift gears now and, and go into the other, the, depending on your perspective of your your allegiance and fandom, the other big news <laughs> of 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 uh, Houston sports, the Houston Rockets signed free agent forward Carmelo Anthony to a one-year deal worth two point four million dollars. I'm in Indianapolis, by the way. For listeners who don't know, don't follow me on Twitter or Facebook um, for Tuesday's media mock selection. Another behind-the-scenes look at the. Uh, how the tournament, how the committee put together the, the 64 teams for the women's final four in the women's tournament. I lost count how many times I've participated in this, but each time it's an honor and a privilege to participate and learn something new each time. And ironically, when I arrived in Indy today at the airport, I ran into one of uh, the committee members at the airport and we uh, shared the bus from the airport to the hotel, which is right across the street of NTA headquarters. So small world. <laughs> so uh, we picked, she picked my brain on a few things and we were actually on the same team last year. I was on, I was on her team as a team captain last year and I will be on a different team Tuesday as team captain. So small world, but all that ties together. So I got the news on my phone about Rocket Santa Carmelo. Did a write up on it, included an Instagram post from Rocket's GM, Daryl Morey of Mello and, and Daryl 
at the table signing the contract, I was kind of concerned, just as, as an aside, as a selfish uh, reason, I was hoping that they would not have a press conference on Tuesday in Houston, because while I'm in India, that means I have to miss it. But so far, no press release, and Monday's almost over, so that's a good sign. So if I get back late Tuesday night, they can have the press conference the rest of the week, and I'll be able to make it. And then you can go to HoustonRoundBarView.com for interview, post uh, from the press conference, things like that on my YouTube channel, which is Houston Round Bar Review, as well as some Instagram clips, also Houston Round Bar Review. But different media outlets, Mark Berman from Fox 26 here in, in, in Houston, uh, Sam Emick at USA Today, different articles about how Mellow will fit. Berman talked with Rockets head coach Mike D'Antoni and had some comments from D'Antoni of how he will use Carmelo and D'Antoni is leaning toward bringing Carmelo off the bench. But uh, he had some coach speak and said, you know, well, you see how it fits. We're working in uh, training camp preseason to see how the, what, what is the best fit for Carmelo's role with the Rockets as either as a starter or coming off the bench. D'Antoni is high on James Ennis as another forward who's kind of under the radar. Uh, so maybe James Ennis will start at small forward and then Carmelo come off the bench. Either way, a few weeks ago, saw some reports about how Carmelo's trainers have got Melo in better shape to be able to physically handle the Rockets' faster pace and faster up-tempo style. That's good. What is the trainer going to say as your as your client representation? You know, you're going to tell everybody that he's a, he's a fast law, but you, what are you going to tell folks? You know, so honestly, I wouldn't expect him to say anything different. Yeah, of course you get Melo in shape. I mean, it's your job to get the man in shape. Melo's still 34 years old. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame, in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm still leery of how he's going to fit on the Rockets. I know he can score. One of the greatest scores. In NBA history, Melo has never been an elite athlete. He has been an elite scorer. There's a difference. His defense has never been great, even when he was younger. So at 34, he's older now. Who's he going to defend on the Warriors squad? Or is his defense just going to be his offense? That's something the Rockets will have to handle as the season as the regular season progresses, and, of course, in the playoffs. The Rockets' goal is to win the NBA championship. They do want to have the best record in the West and have home court, but it is not live or die necessary to have home court because they can go on the road and win in in another team's arena. My biggest concern is how Melo will play on defense, how will Melo handle a reduced role, how will Melo handle sometimes in the fourth quarters those final five minutes of not being in the ball game? If D'Antoni goes with a lineup of James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, PG Tucker, and Clint Capella, if that's his, if Rockets, if that's D'Antoni's Rocket Five in crunch time, how will Melo handle that? This is off season. Everybody can say wonderful things and wine and roses. Right now, and the games don't count. How will Melo handle those things when it happens? What will Melo say in post-game or after practice the next day when he's not playing those last five minutes if that happens? How will he handle that? Sure, Rockets have a, better, a veteran squad. We all know that. We all know these things. Rocket fans are looking at it as Rocket fans. As a member of the media, you've got to be objective. Until we see it happen, we don't know how it's going to happen. Last summer, we had the same questions about how will Chris Paul and James Harden fit. I had less doubts about that because knowing my NBA history, I compared their meshing to Earl of Monroe and Clyde Frazier teaming up with the Knicks. Great backcourt. Folks wonder how that would fit, how you'd have two lead guards fitting in a lineup. Work for them on championship. Rockets, Harden, Chris Paul. Got them close last year. 24 minutes away from getting to the NBA Finals last year. 
So that really wasn't an issue for me. I have more concerns about Melo's fit offensively and defensively compared to the question I had about Chris Paul fitting with James Harden last year. So those are my things on that. Thoughts on that? Doc, what do you think? My question for you is, is there any credibility to the relationship or friendship uh, that Carmelo has with the key members of the Houston Rockets? Will that have any merit about him being able to fit in and work through maybe some of the tough times they would have with him not being as tenacious on defense uh, as they may want him to be? Uh, do you think that will work? I, I, I believe it It will. I believe it should and it will because just based on comments today from D'Antoni, and he said in D'Antoni's quotes, you know, he spoke with Mello about the possibility of Mello coming off the bench and Mello was fine with it. Now contrast that to what, late April when Oklahoma City was ousted from the playoffs in the first round. Melo said, I ain't come off the bench. He said it was a quote. I ain't coming off the bench in Oklahoma City. Now, maybe that's because of how of those teammates, how he didn't believe he fit with the Thunders lineup. And that's different than how right. he uh, has a relationship with Chris Paul and James Harden with the Rockets. So that is a positive and a possibility, I think, is a good, uh, hopeful indicator of how he will react with the Rockets. This is all on him. This is all on Melo. Because all of us know what the Rockets did last year without Melo. Chris Paul, James Harden, and P.J. Tucker, because P.J. is not afraid to speak his mind and get in his teammates behind and tell him he needs to step up the game. Tell him point blank, look, man, we got to watch the conference finals last year without you. We brought you in because we think you can help us get to that, get over the hump. So you need to step up and be part of the team or you don't play. They put it to him like that. Then Melo, it's on Melo to, to fit in, you know, when he can and get along, go along and get along. That's on him. All it's, it's in his lap. He has the skills. It's up to him to make it work because the Rockets have had success. Without him. So I believe it's all on Mello. I know a lot of people would like to believe that uh, uh, when the Rockets went on that stretch where they couldn't literally buy a three, that he would be uh, the type of player that certainly wouldn't go for a significant stretch of not hitting the three. And so with that in mind, does this push the Rockets that much closer to Golden State? Oh, or does the addition that Golden State made in offseason uh, really beleaguer any move that the Rockets could have made that would have shrank that gap? I think the Rockets losing Ariza and Bamute, and obviously – Look by Mute being hurt and being ineffective in the playoffs, but especially against the Warriors, he couldn't make a shot. He showed that he just couldn't make a shot at all. And he was he couldn't he couldn't even play. So his absence combined with Ariza playing so many it forced Ariza to play so many minutes, which hurt Trevor's legs on those jump shots. Trevor went over twelve in game seven. You know, your legs are gone. You're spending so much time playing defense, spending so much time on the court. You don't have that rest from Luke coming in to sub for you. But those two guys being gone hurts the Rockets' defense. I'm not sure, because you have to see if Melo's offense will help fill the loss and overcome the loss of Ariza and Bamute's defense. I think James Ennis is a solid defensive player. One thing James Ennis has over many players in the NBA is James Ennis likes playing defense. That's one of the first things. It seems simple to say, but that's one of the first things, first keys to being a good defensive player is you have to want to play defense. 
you have to enjoy playing defense. You have to have a, a mentality of, I'm going to make my opponent work for everything he or she gets on offense. That's one thing James Ennis does. So Ennis can help fill that void of replace one of those two guys, and it comes down to Melo. Can Melo help on defense enough? I'm not asking him to be Dennis Rodman on defense, but don't become a turnstile and catching cold where everybody giving you a draft as they blow past you, roll it through the paint. So I think the Warriors getting DeMarcus Cousins just adds another piece to the Warriors' offensive arsenal. There's still a gap there. Uh, I think the gap has widened because of whose Rockets lost as combined with Warriors gaining DeMarcus Cousins. Doc, did you see? Did you hear? See what Ed Oliver said to uh, Sam Khan of ESPN? No, I missed that. And it turned Cougar Nation up upside down. And oh my gosh, Ed, why did you say this? Oh no, what? How dare you say these things? And it's not a good look. Well, let me pull it up here. Uh, it's a, basically a kind of a Q&A format and and Sam Khan's question and Sam is for those who may not know listeners may not know Sam is a U of H alum he's been with ESPN for a few years now um, he, he used to cover specifically the SEC but I think his role with ESPN has changed a little bit uh, to the southern region of the country you have the chance to go to LSU Oklahoma, and other schools that produce more NFL draft picks. Why did you choose Houston? Ed's answer. In almost every interview, recruiting interview, they ask me, what's your dream school? My answer, LSU. I was almost a Louisiana. I still hate that I didn't go there, but I can't be in two places at once. I might go get my degree from LSU just to say I went there. So Sam's follow-up question. So what changed your mind? Marcus, that's his brother. I was going to play football with my brother. If he wasn't already at the University of Houston, I wouldn't be here. Those words freaked out Cougar Nation. Just freaked him out. How could Ed say he was going to LSU? How could Ed say that was his dream school? Oh, no, this is a horrible-looking recruiting. This is this is awful. LSU, LSU people are going to run with it on the bulletin boards and send it to all their to, uh, high school prospects. It's a just bad look. Different press conference quote from Ed. A lot of interviews, you go back and watch LSU dream school, LSU dream school. It wasn't even about the football program. Just the purple and gold. That's just the school my family grew up watching. So, what do you think? Are you do you think Coug fans are justified in their panic? No, I don't believe they're justified. But I think the Coug fans are just being fans, like many of the fanatics out there, that everything is take taken to the next level. I think it was refreshing that he was quite honest. And I think he gives credit to uh, the coaching staff at University of Houston to understand that uh, they made a good choice in bringing his brother over, who ultimately led them to getting him. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the part of the recruiting landscape that people need to realize that uh, if there's a chance where there are two brothers that are playing, uh, if one of the brothers is, is solid, uh, you may consider picking him up with the thought process that it may give you an angle on getting the younger brother that may be just a little more talented. So I think it was a fortunate situation, and oftentimes we find out that that is more the case. But uh, I think the cool fans also need to realize that they're in a better place now in terms of facilities and the overall trajectory of the program than they were in a lot of ways when he came on. 
and that's still going to put you in a position uh, to land better recruits moving forward. So I, I think that's the nature of the beast. I agree. I, I agree with you. And, and Tony Levine was head coach uh, recruiting Marcus Oliver, getting Marcus to commit and sign with U of H. Now, it says point blank. I was going to play football with my brothers. Marcus, I think, is two years older than than, than Ed. So Marcus was right. already on campus. He was a sophomore already on campus when Ed was still at Westfield High School. So if everyone – it's not the first time Ed said he was going to play, want to play with his brother. So if you understand all the background of the family ties and the love that they have in that family, if Marcus is at U of H, Ed said he's going to play with his brother. Four years ago, when Ed said, I'm going to U of H, folks should have took him at his word because why? His brother's at U of H. He said he wanted to play with his brother. So there's no shock in that at all when he said it. And he committed U of H way back when. And the family ties, you you know, you not know, we all know. Players, student athletes have various reasons for choosing a university. Coach, colors, school colors, something simple like school colors, girlfriends already there, brothers already there. Sister's already there. Mom and dad went there. Whatever. They're on TV. Whatever. Ed Oliver chose U of H. Ed Oliver is proud to have Houston across his chest. Ed Oliver is practically every major college football publications pick as the best football player in college football this year. That's the University of Houston. That's Puff University of Houston. One overriding, one basic point that no U of H alum can escape. If any Power 5 program fans of those programs chooses to say to a recruit that U of H and the Power 5 school is looking at, all the Power 5 school I'd say is, um, you know, we play in the Power 5, right? And you know they don't, right? That's all they got to say. So until or unless U of H becomes a member of Power 5, that ultimate carrot, U of H can't top. Despite improved facilities, Despite increasing and improved fan support at the football games, despite increasing alumni support, all those things have changed for the better in the last few years. But one fact remains. Uvates and Comiscus Oresco can say it all he wants to, trying to get that P6 branding to sweep across the nation. But Uvates is not a Power 5 school. No matter how bad we as alums hope, wish, and pray for, until it happens, that is the ultimate that any one of those schools, even the sorry schools that don't even belong in there, like Iowa State and Kansas and Rutgers, we're power five. They're not. So why do you want to go play for them? We're on national TV. We got a bigger TV deal. Why do you want to play for them? You be on TV all the time. Why do you want to play for them? That works on some kids. But kids like Ed Oliver, that's all right. I'm going to play with my brother. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. You've got to get people who want to be a part of your program. For, sure. for whatever reason. School colors, family ties, coaching ties. I want folks who want to be part of U of H, who want to be loyal to U of H. I'm not concerned about LSU, A&M, Texas. They'll get theirs because of who they are as well. 
But I also know and believe U of H will get theirs too for the same reasons. I hope that our buddy is still in the airport in Orlando listening to us, ready to chime in with his take. Wildcat, are you ready? Yeah, you know what? They just need to stay as a fan. But at the end of the day, the kid was honest about his ass. Yeah. He knew where he wanted to go at, at first, but he made a commitment to family. And Doc, KD, myself, we all know what that is when push comes to share. We don't want to say no to family when it comes to getting that opportunity in school. And especially when you're looking at home, looking back at the house, and you're saying, you know what? I can get this. I can get to where I need to get to right here in town. I don't have to leave town. All I got to do is just beat down folks like I've been beating them down in high school, like beat them down in college. That's all I got to do. And right up to this point, folks get a good look because this is the last go-round for young Ed Oliver. The league's been tapping on his door for a lot of years now. And at the end of this season. Yeah, and to his credit. <laughs> They're going to make that one. To his credit, he said, he's quoted as saying, I just proved you don't have to be at a power five school. You can go anywhere and the scouts will find you. Don't worry about the outside. Just go out there, do your job and play for your team. See, that mentality, not a lot of young people have because they like and believe the bells and whistles of the top-tier programs, that's what they prefer. If you have more and more talent, more, more talented kids have the mindset of Ed Oliver, then you may have more kids start going to the G5 schools. Or even, even better, have more and more talented kids are going to HBCUs. Because exactly. the scouts will find you. With the recruit that came in and visited FAMU. So I think you make an excellent point um, that the focus point of young people can change the narrative. And I think that's what a lot of the Houston Cougs fans are really uh, cherish is the fact that he put that statement out there. Uh, don't worry about just being a part of Power 5. Take a school that you really fit with and feel comfortable with and understand that if you are the talent that you believe you are and you can get things done, that the NFL will come find you and you still will get your proper ranking. And so that doesn't change the dynamic if you are the talent. And oftentimes what people don't realize is that it's easy to show your talent when you're playing and on the field than versus only being able to show your talent in practice because you're backing somebody else up and is playing in the game and you're waiting for them to either graduate or, God forbid, get injured so you can have a chance to show your skill set is the secondary component of what you're looking at. Yes, and Wakai, before we go back to you for your topic and, and last rant, um, women's basketball player, high school basketball player, Louisiana. Tierra Young is her name. She is a top 30 in the country prospect. University of Houston is one of her final six choices. Not elite programs. And the other five, if I can pull it up, the other five are not considered what you would not consider blue blood <clears throat> programs in women's basketball. Because based on people who know her or people who follow her game and her high school basketball game, she is one of those players, also one of those players that wants to help build up another program rather than be a part of a winning factory. She wants to create her own factory. So it's out there. Her other five programs, Miami, good program, but not elite. I mean, Lee, I'm talking about UConn, South Carolina, 
Notre Dame, Stanford, LSU, good program, has, has had better years. Ole Miss, had, been, had not been good for a long time. TCU, solid program. Texas Tech, those are her six. We're talking about one of the top 30 players in the country. That's her final six. And depending on who you talk to, U of H is her, her number one choice. 5'10 guard. I think she averaged 24 and 12 boards last year. Top 30 prospect. U of H is one of those, one of her final six. Because she wants to go somewhere where she can help carry a program and become in the program. What you got, Wildcat? Yeah, you know, if I see a female first step, I'm going to ask this. How big is she? How tall is she? I said 5'10". I said she's 5'10". 5'10 guard. Okay, that's about my height. So, you know, can she, she work it? She played you know, point guard she, her previous year. She transferred. Her mom is a high school coach. I think her mom coached her. But dad got a job in another, another city, so they went, moved to his new job, and now her new school tier may play more off the ball. So that just add to her game. So she was a point guard, and I think she was, you know, I mean, her previous team, she had to do a lot. She had to do a little bit of everything. So a new team, she may just have to play a certain role, which may help expand her overall game. But bottom line, oh, okay. she's a top 30 prospect in the country considering to go to U of H of the five other schools, those five other schools, ACC, two SEC, two Big 12, and U of H in the American. So that's five, power five, and U of H. All right. You know me, it's going to be proof in the pudding. I've been watching it a while now. So. Clearly, no, but my, my, point, my point gets back to I, I get your point, the, the you know, because if, if players want to go somewhere, they go somewhere and still excel. And she wants to go pro, she can still get drafted and looked at by scouts at U of H. She doesn't go to a Power Five program to get noticed. As Doc said, she can come to U of H and possibly start from day one if she puts in the time and it works. Because uh, as as much talent as it is in the A. And the Americans um, being able to stand out that you, you you really have to work hard at it and just says, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna just get this done. And uh, part of my rant today, uh, later on, is about folks that don't want to put in work. Go ahead, you know, rent. Seth's got to say. Uh no. All right, then I got two rants today. One. Coaching staff goes off the deep end, gets crazy, then threatens kids. And I'm just saying, and this just my opinion. It's just a wildcat's opinion. And then threatens to say kids uh, that if you don't keep your mouth shut, I'm going to pull your scholarship. Well, it only works when you're in total control. If you're not in total control, you better not make that statement. Or somebody going to find out about it. And now you got a situation where it's bad. Folks have started lawyering up. People are fixing to start running off folks. You're getting a, fixing to lose your job with just cause. And then you have one person at a school that known photos still don't know what the, how it's going to end out. Is getting ready to petition to get his job back. I just think something has gone wrong with the system. And the three of us talk about, you know, how the NCAA is set up and how it guards. It says it guards is the student, student athletes. I know Doc doesn't like to see that word, but uh, I'm going to go with the word that I say all the time. And Doc that really doesn't like him, him to say this. You know, they treat him like they're on the plantation or stuff. Now, we in charge and y'all working for us. So when us say go to work, we want you to go to work. Well, 
somewhere else along the way, somebody's got to speak up for them. I don't know how they get this done, but they're going to have to do something, and they're going to do it quick. Because the University of Maryland situation, you basically tearing loose a coach, a, a coaching support, support staff on kids during an off-season. Not doing spring drills, not doing fall camp. In the off-season, and a kid ends up getting hospitalized and dies on the treatment. Uh, everybody's got their theory about what happened. We wasn't there. It was a bunch of folks that were, and now somebody's got to take the got to take the hit. Some folks don't want to take the hit, but they're gonna have to. Me, I'm hoping that somebody goes to jail. Or is told that you cannot get another job on the college level. And everybody gets fired, they get fired with cause. And Doc, you have to correct me, you have to enlighten me on what this cause is and and how they are, excuse me, are run out of the system and they can't work back on the college level ever again. If you can, please. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The NCA has the ability to give a show cause and they usually give it over a number of years which means the institution that wants to hire the coach that has show calls literally has to provide paperwork to one state why they want to hire this individual that the NCA has said has run a file. And the second part of it is not only you have to say why you want to hire them, you also have to give a breakdown of how you're going to control or monitor this individual to, quote, unquote, make sure uh, that they don't do this type of thing again. I think you make an excellent point when you say uh, that when somebody steps a foul and the foul literally ends somebody's life, uh, that this is not business as usual. This is not just a kid transferring or an individual uh, going against the rules. Uh, this is a young man that lost his life, that is not coming home uh, to his parents. And so when it gets to that level, I think everybody has to pause and ask the question, you know, where did we go wrong? How do we make sure that this happen again? And ultimately, somebody needs to pay the penalty, uh, particularly in this case, even as we're waiting for the final analysis of what took place. Uh, a young man does not just fall sick because you pushed him a little too hard, particularly when you start to hear all this evidence that um, this was not just about players overexerting themselves, that this was, in a lot of ways, a willful neglect and punishment uh, of players that were not able to be better than what they were when they came into the program. And that's just to say that sad state of affairs, and it certainly, in my opinion, lays at the feet of the head coach, if not higher up. And the head coach is uh, DJ Durkin in Maryland, who's he's on pay leave right now as all this is being investigated. So uh, it's a culture of uh, football, not necessarily, not even just college football because I'm pretty sure it still exists on at certain high school programs as well. Uh, the verbal abuse, the the almost punishment type workouts, punishment type practices that still exist. You know, I think the three of us have uh, an old school mentality to a point. I think all of us are old enough to know how things used to be in football workouts and football practices and basketball workouts and training and things like that. How coaches yelled and coaches put their hands on players in practice. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, we all know how it used to be. Some folks still coach like that. They have not adjusted to the time. I'm, go ahead. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say this because it needs to be said. Only two basketball coaches in my lifetime 
one is still around, and the other one is Coach Jackie B. Carr and Dean Smith were the only two head coaches on any level that I never heard foul language in practice or in a game. Everybody else includes a person that I put at the top of the mound, John Wooden, Mike Krzyzewski, Dave Gatton, Rowdy, during a game and in practice. They've hollered and screamed because they needed to. But the other thing is, you expected them enough to say, okay, it's about me getting better. And that's all it's about. And then about them hollering just to be hollering. It's about you getting better as a, as a ball player and as a young man and growing. And I got to respect those two guys for that. But when you get to the point to where you don't care and it's all about you as a coach and you trying to prove a point, as in what this situation is kind of, is, is being not so much being bandied about, but a child loses his life trying to make being trying to be accepted in a coach's eyes instead of watching out for himself and listening to his body and just saying, you know what? I don't need this no more. I don't need it. But it didn't happen this time. And now everybody's trying to cover they do the CYA route. I got to watch myself now. Got to watch myself. Uh, so that's rant one. Rant two is two friends of mine. One is a close friend. The other one, I just, we broke bread together before. Uh, had an issue. It's been about a week, week and a half now. Uh, but I just told him, said, you know, just go public. And do that. And he went and asked a question on it, you know, back 20, 30 years ago. So what's going on? Why kids can just take days off and come back and expect to play, expect to get a uniform, you know, that kind of thing. So now what you got is a situation where on the high school level, Karen says, uh, my child is going on a vacation. Our child's got a uh, birthday party. Here's and uh, it all boils down to just about him and about the team. And when the team gets done, you know, you all can uh, come on by when you get ready. But, uh, oh, and by the way, if my child is not playing in a uniform next week in the game, I'm going to take your job. I don't know where that's coming from other than a parent that, for whatever reason, has felt empowered by a principal or by power administration staff that says we're going to win with this kid. The parents got money to invest in the, in the, uh, in the program and that's where we're going to go. So coach, you have to sit down and suck it up. Accept the money that's coming in and let the kid play and don't run him off. Fellas, what say ye? What what school is this? Uh, school out of the Dallas area right now. Uh, but it, it started during the summer program. One of the DI on the Dallas Independent School District schools. It's a high school. You know, y'all got something to say. I know. I know you got something to say. Doc, what are your thoughts? I think when you look at that, there's so many components of that. It's just hard to draw one. And I think it's important that we get on the same page and make sure that um, the coaches have the ability to lead students and understanding that as, as a why I like to look at it in terms of coaching, 
being a great coach in a lot of ways is being a great teacher. And some have said in the past in terms of good teachers or have the ability to coach. And it really gets to the position of leadership. So when you talk about these young individuals and them having options, we got to find a way to make sure that those things mix. And that we give these young people the opportunity uh, to develop into young people, whether that's men or women, uh, in terms of those characteristics. So I think a lot of this is just about developing leaders and it's difficult to develop leaders if you don't have coaches that show leadership skills. And I'll excuse me, and I'll add it's difficult for those coaches to be leaders if the administration doesn't support them and back them up. But this situation at the high school, the parents having money and and trying to have influence, that's not new. Money and parents and adults have tried to influence programs in athletics for years. We'll see how this is handled in Dallas and what comes about comes of it. But it's not new. Money talks. Always has, always will. To those folks who value money more than doing things the right way and treating people with respect. And handing out jobs and responsibilities based on marriage as opposed to based on who has the most money. So let's wrap it up. This is another good podcast. Hope the listeners enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Wildcat, you go first. Tell folks how they can find you on the internet. Yeah. Um, you can find me at J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr., Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, and on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Blogger, Blogspot, and YouTube at AKSV VCSR, V College Sports Report, PHWJ 9855. Gmail. Doc, how can folks find you? Yes, they can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's D R K E N Y A T T A C A V I L. Again, that's D R K E N Y A T T A C A V I L. They can also catch me every Tuesday from 5:45-7:15 on KKBQ 92.9 FM HD2. And you can watch and listen at www.kcoh-tv.com as a streaming video. You can also catch us at Facebook Live at that Facebook address, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, it's 545 to 715 every Tuesday as we do our weekly show, Dr. Cavill's Inside HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washman and Charles Bishop. As we said earlier in the show, we'll have a special guest, uh, now the new Southwestern Athletic Conference Commissioner, Dr. Charles McCullen. And we have an interview with him as he was announced today as the new Commissioner of the SWAT. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, HoustonRoundBallReview.com. Houston Round Bar View on YouTube and Instagram. Twitter is slightly different. It is V H R Review. Spell it for you. T H E H R R E V I E W. Our podcasts are available on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, etc. You know how where to find folks, how to find podcast listeners. You know, but you find us unless it is podcast. We have a Facebook page, the KG, Biffwood Wildcat and Doc page on Facebook. As I mentioned, I am in Indianapolis, roughly five minutes from NCAA headquarters, NCAA headquarters for another media mock selection. This one, I think, is going to be a little different than previous years based on our conference call from last week. I think we're going to have some discussion about uh, phasing out 
the RPI, like the, like it's happening on the men's side in college basketball. I think it's happening on the, on women's side. So some coaches seem to be in favor of that. So we'll see how that is discussed in Tuesday's all-day media mock selection. So hopefully have some uh, more information on that on my website, HoustonRombarview.com. Uh, go to that. I'm still in the process of updating almost uh, the archives of the Round Bar View to be mobile-friendly, smartphone-compatible. So we're almost done with that. So HoustonRombarview.com has been updated. Thank you for your patience. Hopefully it's been so famous you haven't even noticed it. So if I did it right. So that's a good thing. Doc, thank you for your time. Wildcat, safe travels. Hopefully you'll be able to join me in Indy uh, Tuesday morning. So if so, I will see you Tuesday. And Doc, I'll see you later this week. I also want to toss out James Harden has his uh, annual three-day events this week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You can go to his website. I have uh, an Instagram post of the flyer. I think, Doc, you can correct me on this, but I think Sunday's games, if not Saturday, the games are at H&PE Arena where um, NBA players are scheduled to participate. I I don't know for certain, but it wouldn't shock me. It's Sunday. Okay, Sunday. It wouldn't shock me if Carmelo Anthony makes an appearance in the games like uh, last year when the games were at Rice Tudor Fieldhouse, Chris Paul and James Harden were, were playing together, giving fans an idea of how they would be hooping for the Rockets during the season. So I know that for a fact. All I know is Melo signed with the Rockets Monday. He took the physical sign on by the line. So who's to say? Maybe he will, maybe he won't play in Harden's games, Harden's event on Sunday. So it's up to you to go to my Instagram page, to go to Harden's website, or go to Twitter to find out how to get tickets. I think the prices start at $25 or $30 for the game. So you can look for that for yourself. Gentlemen, thank you, as always, for your time and your insight. We'll do this again. Wrap it up, as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.